I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show, the wacky world of the English Championship, what MLS TV ratings tell us about soccer in the US of A, news about the future of the Scottish Premiership on US TV, Liga MX makes its return this weekend, plus we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, uh, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Now, Kartik, uh, I... I this past couple of weeks has been, I mean, for me at least, uh, amazing. I mean, seeing Real Madrid uh, lifting the trophy on, on the final day of the season. Uh, of course, Leeds United um, winning the championship. Uh, on Wednesday, seeing Liverpool on the celebration on the Cup, which was live on NBCSN. And uh, I think pretty much <clears throat> pretty much all around the, the, the globe, it, it's been a, a good time of the year if you're a soccer fan. Uh, of course, uh, it looks like uh, Juventus and Serie A will probably uh, win the title. Um, as you know, we're recording this on Thursday, probably later today. And then you, you, you had the Bundesliga, what, what seems to be like a few weeks ago now. And yes, Bayern Munich ran away with it. Uh, but it, it was good to see um, a trophy being lifted there, but also a season ending. Anything else I'm forgetting, Kartik? What has been uh, great about these last couple of weeks? Um, well, I, I've loved the MLS's back tournament and the MWSL Challenge Cup. I'll admit, every single one of those trophy ceremonies, I did not see that you've listed. The only one I did see or only celebration I saw was West Brom for promotion, finishing second. Uh, and that was um, that was less subdued than I thought it would be in this era of COVID. And uh, also less subdued given that West Brom limped over the line. Uh, but uh, they're yeah. back in the Premier League and, and, and uh, great for that club. I think it's great for the West Midlands, especially if, if Villa can stay up on Sunday because uh, Wolves are as good as they've been in, in a couple decades. Uh, West Brom, quick return, two seasons. Uh, down back into the Premier League and uh, Villa uh, might be uh, in the middle of orchestrating a great escape. Uh, we'll know for sure on Sunday. So let's start off with uh, the championship. And, and Kartik, for, for the last three seasons, I've been watching the championship pretty religiously um, yeah. throughout the entire season. I, 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 of course, uh, before that too, but religiously in the last three years. I, I know you're a avid uh, watcher too. And this, I mean, this is no disrespect to anyone. But for me, Kartik, 
not only is the championship one of the most competitive leagues, um, but the quality is fantastic. I mean, the quality from top to bottom uh, is really high. And when I watch these games, honestly, Kartik, and, and I've watched a lot of MLSs back, but the quality of the championship from top to bottom, to me, is better than Major League Soccer. Um, yeah, it, it, it probably is. And I, I'll say this also, and, and uh, I, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to bash the Premier League, but what happens in the Premier League is a lot of the teams, particularly the teams that seem to be hanging on every season and staying in the league, play very defensively. There's a, there's a bigger gap now. We're seeing this. Liverpool's going to finish on 99 points. Manchester City were on 100 uh, two years ago. They were on 98 last year. Liverpool was on 97. Prior to the last three seasons, no team in Premier League history had ever had more than 96 points. Now in the last three years, we're going to have four teams over that mark. And um, the championship and, and why Norwich um, played so uh, continued to play the way they did this year in the Premier League, and, and they struggled, obviously, and they're getting relegated again, is because that's championship football now. More often than not, you see teams in the championship go for it. There are teams, uh, sorry, uh, Fulham fans, Fulham is, is, the, is the great example this season for me, under Scotty Parker, uh, that do play that very negative brand of football that we see mid-table in the Premier League. But for the most part, championship teams go for it. And that's what makes this uh, and Leeds, of course, is better to watch, in my opinion, than any Premier League club. And that's not a shot at the Premier League, because they're better to watch than any Bundesliga club or uh, or La Liga club also right now. The only uh, team I would pick over them uh, randomly to watch a match is Atalanta. Um, but they, um, there is this... This go-for-it mentality in the championship, Chris, and the other thing is the, the gap between the teams just doesn't exist. Right. Um, and, and we saw in the last week or two weeks, or actually I should say the last, since the restart, uh, Nathan Jones go back to Lutontown and author a great escape. Lutontown looked like, compared to the rest of the, the league, they were completely undermanned. Uh, Char- Charlton with the other team that were was undermanned, and they got very negative toward the end. But um, Nathan Jones, who you of course know as Welsh, um, did a great job at Luton in his first stint, didn't go so well at Stoke for him. Um, he decided to play football. And they got out of their trouble by playing football, including uh, a high-scoring match yesterday. Uh, We see the same thing uh, all over the division. And and obviously, we're going to talk about your team in a minute, Chris, I'm sure. Uh, But they 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 played their way out of trouble this year, and they played their way into potentially promotion. And that's... That's why I love the championship. It's not just that it's so competitive in terms of uh, scores and, and teams coming up and, and, and going down, uh, with the exception of you know West Brom seems to always, whenever they're in the division, they're at the top of the table. They're, they're, they're the team that uh, is money in the league when they're, when they're down uh, in that league. But it's the style of football. And Premier League football was like that, Chris. Mm-hmm. For people who are newer Premier League fans, Premier League football was like that for about 20 years. And then at some point, the financial stakes became so great and it became so cost prohibitive to potentially be relegated that teams stopped playing football. And they saw Ian Holloway bring Blackpool up. I think maybe that was a decisive moment. And um, and, and continue to play open, uh, entertaining football. Uh, and uh, they got relegated. And since then, a lot of teams that stay up, 
don't don't like to play. Uh, this season has been very different, though, because Aston Villa, Dean Smith has not compromised his principles. Daniel Farka did not uh, compromise his principles. They, of course, go right back down, but that's they, they kept playing the way that they play, they've played in the championship. And then Chris Wilder, same thing. So maybe the Premier League is turning a page now. Let's see if Slavin Bilic and Mar- uh, well, if Bielsa is still at Leeds, if they continue to play the, the, the beautiful football those two teams have played this season once they get up. Uh, with Bilic, maybe he's gun-shy because at West Ham, being open and entertaining ended up getting him the sack. So maybe he's going to uh, pair it back once they go up. But that's why you should watch the championship. It is the It's fun. The best example, Kartik, to me is yesterday was Brentford against Barnsley. He was oh, Bre- yeah. Brentford, a club that's probably the most informed club in the league, uh, winning games after games after games, uh, basically one game away from getting promoted to the, Bre- the Premier League. Barnsley looking dead and buried, looking like they had no chance, a team of youngsters, uh, a team that was down on their luck, got a couple of, of good victories in, in the last few weeks. And they go into this game and, and, and Barnsley pull off a shocker. I mean, Barnsley defeating Brentford in the last minute. And Chris, you know what the most shocking thing was? Okay, so Brentford is pushing promotion. Barnsley get the goal almost at halftime. Um, and this, I, I guess I should register an ESPN Plus complaint here. <laughs> is that with ESPN Plus, they don't have the, the window and window that you used to have in uh, – um, on ESPN3. So I'm right. trying to flip on my Apple TV back and forth between West Brom and QPR, an equally epic game with the same uh, – West Brom and Brentford are competing for, for that last promotion spot. Uh, and uh, Barnsley is trying to survive uh, in the Premier League, and then I'm trying to keep an eye on what's going on with Luton. That match is not being televised, etc. So I ended up relying on the score bug while I had these two matches flipping back and forth. Barnsley – at 1-1, a belter of a goal um, uh, from De Silva to, 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 give, uh, to give Brentford some life and give Brentford some hope of promotion. At that point, from minute 68, whatever it was, onward, 64 onward, Barnsley were on the front foot. They had most of the ball. They were going forward. They were trying to get goals. Um, and uh, it was... Uh, uh, you know, an incredible escape. It was a, a terrible way for, for Barnsley to say goodbye to Griffin. Oh, well, I guess they're not saying goodbye to Griffin no. Park now, right? Because they've got the Swansea. One more match. They'll have to play Swansea in the playoffs. But um, that was just – that's what the championship is about. And so, again, I mean, I'm, I'm happy NBC's got a couple of ma- matches and has a relegation fight coming into the last day this year on Championship Sunday. But the final day in the Premier League, the final day in La Liga, the final day in Serie A, all, all these top leagues in Europe, none of them – ever deliver the drama of the championship. And we're, we're talking about uh, this right now, Chris. We, we could have had the same conversation last season, the season yeah. before. Every year, This is uh, if there's one, one set of football matches I watch and keep a close eye on, it's the last day in the championship. And my final takeaway uh, for, for the listeners would be the final five, the bottom five in the championship table, when we turned the calendar to July, July 1st, just three weeks ago, they all survived. The three that go down were not in the bottom five. Wow, wow, and and that's the thing. That's, that's how competitive the league is. Yeah. Now, of course, there was a points deduction for a team that was 
uh, Wigan that was playing really well. So they won't go down because of that. But still, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, and that's the thing going into that final day of the season yesterday. And I realize too, listeners, most of you probably didn't watch these matches. Maybe you kept abreast of what was going on. I mean, it was at the same time as a fantastic Liverpool against Chelsea game with Pulisic just playing uh, amazingly. So I, I realized that probably a lot of listeners weren't actually following these matches. But out of the final day of the championship, the regular season on Wednesday, out of the 12 matches, 10 of them had implications on either uh, promotion, uh, trying to enter, make the playoffs or trying to escape a relegation. So there were only two dead rubber matches. And and now we we know the teams that are going up and we know the teams that are going into the playoffs. Uh, We believe we know which of the teams are going to get relegated because uh, Wigan Athletic got a 12-point deduction uh, for going into administration, but uh, there is an appeal. So, uh, oh, and we we also don't know about Sheffield Wednesday yet. They could. I think I think they'll I think they'll be okay though. I I don't know. That's okay. that's the indications I'm getting. This Wednesday is going to be okay, but it'll be Wigan that probably uh, with the appeal. Well, with the appeal, we don't know. You mean? And it's a shame for Wigan because once they knew that this was possible, they went on a big run. Uh, to try and uh, to try and inoculate themselves, they're actually one of the few teams in the division that end up with a positive goal difference because they started just ripping teams. But they, what, it, it was too little, too late, and uh, so you have to feel for for Paul Cook and that team and, and the players. Yeah, and one more thing before we move on. Uh, actually, two more things. Uh, first is uh, and and then. As Kartik mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, Swansea, who before the game on Wednesday uh, had the opportunity to try to make the playoffs, but it was uh, their fate was not in their own hands. Um, They would have to hope that uh, Cardiff would lose or Nottingham Forest would lose. But if Nottingham Forest lost their game... Uh, and Swansea won their game in the final day, day of the season. There was a five goal uh, goal difference, so that they would have to make up. Swansea won their game four one, so that's that's a plus three goal difference. And Nottingham Forest on the final day of the season uh, lost to Stoke City uh, by four goals to one, which is again a three goal goal difference there. So three plus three is six, and Swansea go into the playoffs a plus one goal difference over at Nottingham Forest same number of points total but I was in tears I was it was tears of joy joy <clears throat> going absolutely crazy just uh just watching this unfold and I'm thinking like oh my gosh the impossible is possible I mean the way that they were playing Wayne Routledge a veteran even scoring two goals I mean both or the first goal was absolutely amazing uh Rian Brewster who's on loan from Liverpool uh scoring a, a wonder goal uh Liam Cullen who's you mean first goal for Swansea comes off the bench and scores within 30 seconds just an incredible day for for me personally but uh, again it shows the championship just the excitement levels and Kartik let me just chime in here too with a a comment from one of the uh, listeners and this is from Alan he says do you think that ESPN missed a trick on the last day of the championship by not giving the games a higher profile across their channels I know that they would have been going up against the NBC uh, SN Love Fest at and at Anfield, but the drama in the championship deserved to be witnessed by more football fans. What a day of drama. I watched the Brentford against Barnsley game, and the commentator did a good job of keeping viewers up to date on what was going on around the grounds. Do you agree on that one, Kartik? 
Yeah, I, I think uh, the commentators, uh, and same thing with the West Brom uh, QPR match, did, did a fantastic job. Um, and I was also struck by the irony, by the way, uh, of QPR playing with not – it was a dead rubber for them, playing so hard at the Hawthorns that they almost sent one of their rivals, local rivals, uh, uh, Brentford or Fulham. And if you know West London, you know how close all those grounds are. And Stanford, Bridgeford, the other – there are four teams on that side of London that are close to one another through. The, the commentators were great in keeping people abreast. Uh, but ESPN did miss a trick. And, and um, I, I uh, am really surprised that they haven't – either um, done something to showcase these matches, um, the final match day in the championship, uh, now in this the third season that they've, or the second season that they've had the rights, uh, or the, uh, the, the no, it's uh, excuse me, it's the third season they've had the uh, EFL yeah. rights, yeah. Uh, second season of the FA Cup and Serie A, or uh, the, uh, the playoff final. I mean, so I, I, it... it uh, it became a, a difficult thing to accept that the playoff final, which to Fox's credit, they had always shown going back. Uh, you had the stat, Chris. Um, you, you wrote an article about it uh, when ESPN moved it behind the ESPN uh, plus paywall. It had been on uh, U.S. television over the air or, or linear television, not, not over the air, but linear tel- television for uh, 20 some odd years and uh, suddenly was behind a paywall on streaming. And this uh where we really missed a trick yesterday was, again, I said because of the clunkiness of ESPN Plus you, and, and no picture in picture, you can't have the four four frames like you used to with ESPN 3 back right. in the day. The mosaic. Uh, it was very difficult to keep track on, of all the matches except on your app, uh, on whatever score app you use. So I, I decided, okay, I'd love to watch Leeds, but that game is is not meaningful in terms of, of, of of Leeds's uh, own fate, so let's not watch that, and let's try and focus on the other two matches. But even switching back and forth between the other two matches meant leaving the game and then uh, firing up another game, letting it load again, and then losing inevitably about thirty seconds of action each time. Yeah. Uh, if there is a better way, uh, listeners out there, let me know or let us know. I think her yeah, soccer I, talk, I, but it's difficult. Yeah, I think I think the only way would be that you'd have to have a bunch of different monitors or a bunch of different yeah. iPads all set up. And I mean, not all of us are uh, wealthy enough to have I mean, like three or four iPads to set up to be side by side, or three or four monitors side by side. I, I, they missed a trick, but I I think um, I mean for ESPN Plus uh, subscribers, um, I think I think the championship will always be on ESPN Plus. And and I don't see even a final, even even if it was a a Welsh derby final between Swansea and Cardiff, or a uh, a London derby between uh, Brentford and Fulham in the final, or, or a variation of the, of those two. I, I don't see them moving it to television. I think this is an ESPN Plus product. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, but for the viewership for the United States, they're missing out for sure. But um, I think at the end of the day, Kartik, I think it's one of those things that uh, you, I know you watch the championship uh, regularly, and I do too, uh, kind of almost being forced to, in a way, with you mean, my club getting relegated from the Premier League and going to the championship. But uh, I've just been blown away by just the, uh, not, not even on the last day of the season, but the, the quality of this league throughout and how competitive it is. It is a really fun league to watch. 
Now, Kartik, let's move on. Um, uh, and well, one, one last thing I want sure. to say about Barnsley is they were on ESPN Plus the other day against Leeds. Yep. Um, and I had a feeling they might do this to Brentford because that's the toughest match Leeds has faced in a long time. And uh, again, team that was fighting for their lives came out and attacked uh, against Bielsa's Leeds team. And, and they had enough of the ball that they limited Leeds scoring only once, which is remarkable. Um, so anyway, check, uh, fans, you might want to check out the playoffs. Uh, and Chris is obviously a partisan in the playoffs. But uh, ESPN <laughs> Plus will have all the games on ESPN Plus. So there were people asking me yesterday, uh, based on the fact that there were only three games on, oh, this doesn't mean they'll, they're not going to show us all the playoffs. They are going to show all five matches it would be of, of, of the playoffs and, and the final. Yeah, yeah. And the whole schedule is at uh, worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik, as far as MLS is back, um, what's been the standout uh, match or the, or kind of uh, the the positives that you've seen from this one so far? Well, I mean, I guess the negatives are that the New York teams have been eliminated and the uh, and Atlanta. And, and uh, fortunately or unfortunately, Atlanta seems to be consuming a lot of the broadcasts, even when they're not playing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the positives have been uh, how good Columbus has played, how Yap Stom has gotten Cincinnati uh, to buy into kind of building from the back and, 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 and developing that way. And then, of course, uh, the host team, Orlando, how well they've played. Philly Union, uh, I expected to, to, to have a good season this year, and uh, they've looked very good in the tournament as well. So those would be my standouts. I guess Colorado uh, not playing so well, but they uh, – uh, they they uh, had uh, really some bad breaks. See, this is the thing that's happened in this tournament. Like a major international tournament, if you get guys sent off in the group stage, you're basically done, right? And um, we saw the Kansas City uh, uh, Minnesota game turn on a red card. We saw Colorado fight valiantly against Kansas City, even two men down. Uh, we saw Atlanta essentially just ship it once they got two goal, two men sent off against Cincinnati and and and, and quit on the tournament. So. Um, yeah, I think bookings, and, and you've talked about the excessively physical nature of MLS, Chris. I think bookings have been the, the key, and the fact that if a team can keep 11 men on the pitch, they, ha- they stand a pretty good chance. Um, I, this is, I think, a good segue to talk a little bit about ESPN's commentary, if, if, you, if you don't mind. Because sure. I think um, one of the things that uh, has been overriding in the discussions between John Champion and Taylor Twellman have been kind of these player discipline issues and what is wrong with Atlanta United uh, beyond Joseph Martinez being injured. Although, quite frankly, I would say MLS is, is, is the sort of league where there, we just talked about how balanced the championship is. MLS not quite as balanced as the championship, but very much more competitive than like the Premier League or, or La Liga, etc. from top to bottom. You take a guy of Martinez's caliber out of Atlanta – um, and after a year after selling Miguel Almiron to uh, to Newcastle, they were wholly reliant on on that sort of player. They they let Darlington Nagby go, which I think was a mistake. Uh, he's obviously playing well for Caleb Porter in Columbus. So um, the champion Pullman uh, discussions have revolved a lot around Atlanta United, a lot about around player discipline, a lot about around how managers push certain buttons in a three-team tournament. And it's been interesting to listen to. It's also been at times maybe um, 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe too. Well, I think it's been overplayed a little, a little bit. Okay, yeah, that might be it. That might be one of because thinking, yeah. because I mean, all right. So I haven't watched every Atlanta game in this tournament. I did watch the uh, Atlanta Cincinnati game last Thursday, and I, I did watch the Atlanta Columbus game. And and yes, Atlanta is not anywhere close to what they were before. Uh, yes, their performances are poor. Yes, their attacking, um, I mean, front is basically non-existent. But I, I just thought from that Atlanta Columbus game, even though Columbus won this one one nothing, uh, towards the last ten minutes of this game, uh, Atlanta had a bunch of chances. They had a bunch of of saves that were uh, cleared off the line by the Columbus goalkeeper, and it could have easily been one one. There was one free kick that was taken that I mean it had to be a really good save to to keep that that one out, and that, this game could have ended up one uh, one. Even though, kind of on the the whole ninety minutes, it probably felt like a like a three nil win for uh, Columbus. The the scoreline was just one nothing. I I just thought that Taylor Twelman was just overplaying it a little bit, and and also even just the the next day on on, on ESPN or on social media, just like on and on and on about how poor this Atlanta team is and how dire, and and, and then yeah, also kind of even, the Frank DeBoer. Oh yeah, sorry, and, and I was like even how, last night. During yeah. the halftime of the New York Cincinnati game, the entire discussion seemed to be about Atlanta United. Yeah, and 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 post match too, like kind of in, yeah. in between the uh, you mean the first game and the second game again, going in and going on on and on and on about how poor this Atlanta team is. I I, I just thought that uh, yes, they disappointed. Yes, they are. There's a whole bunch of uh, fixes that are need to happen. I think a lot of it is um, the actual players on the team in terms of losing a lot of depth, losing a lot of talent, and this is a completely different team than what we're used to. I just thought he just went on and on a little bit too much about it. Even during the game itself, I mean, the game itself, Atlanta against Columbus, my my criticism about this one is that the the energy level in this game was flat. Very, anyway, The first half was good. The second half was extremely flat. And I think... Um, to me, I think I see a co-commentator as, oh, and actually a commentator too, John Champion. Part of the responsibility is to increase that energy level just a little bit, even if the game is very flat and boring and uneventful, uh, just to keep us informed. I mean, pull that that viewer in, uh, talk about maybe some of the um, the tactics and, and what's happening on the pitch, what's not happening. But the tone from both John Champion and Taylor Twelman, you could tell that they were very disappointed with Atlanta, very frustrated, a lot of silences, a lot of just just flat kind of monotone um, was not exciting to to listen to the commentary. And and that I was surprised by because I've criticized uh, Stu Holden in the past before where for a a U.S. men's national team game where they were playing poorly and and losing maybe in, in a Gold Cup. And I and I felt that he was being overly quiet, and his tone was pr- pretty flatline, because almost in some ways he's wearing his heart on his sleeve, and and it, that comes out in the commentary where he's disappointed, he's frustrated, and he and and the viewer, the listener hears that too. The same thing too with this Atlanta uh, game too is just that it almost felt like John Champion and Taylor Twelman, Twelman were disappointed with Atlanta's performance, uh, but for the neutral, for me. I wanted, you mean, give me something more than that. Give me some, some energy. Give me some, you mean, I ended up watching the rest of the game, but I just thought that was disappointing. But anyway, that, that was just my take on the game itself. 
Yeah, actually, let me correct myself. I said uh, that uh, both New York teams are out. I'm, I'm wrong as of this recording. New York City FC still has a slim hope of advancing. They're going to need a lot of things to go their way, especially the, the in the Galaxy-Houston uh, game. They're going to probably need a draw in that match uh, and, and some things in the Chicago-Vancouver game that's going on uh, as we record this. Uh, but uh, they are not eliminated. The Red Bulls are. But they're looking at a possibility of a tournament or knockout stage without Atlanta and without either New York team. Uh, a distinct possibility of that, which is not, I think, what they wanted from a television standpoint. Yeah, from um, well, actually, even the big markets, though, with New York and uh, New York s- seems to always fail anyway in terms of yeah. uh, viewing numbers. So. Um, but for me, for the most part, I've enjoyed watching the tournament thus far. Uh, it's been very scattered in terms of the quality level. Sometimes it, it's good. I mean, I was impressed by Cincinnati uh, last night against New York Red Bulls and uh, been impressed by San Jose, been impressed by uh, Brendan Aronson for Philadelphia. A lot of youth coming through the systems and, and that I've been impressed with. But it's been inconsistent. It, there's been a lot of teams that have been extremely poor Miami's been awful, absolutely dreadful to watch. Uh, just, just a team lacking, really creativity and imagination up front. Um, really frustrating. I mean, that's just one of a few teams that have been poor. It's, it's been scattered. So I've enjoyed parts of it. I've enjoyed passages of games, but some of it is, is just really just low energy. I mean, I guess across the the entire tournament, to me at least, the games I've watched. Most of them, the energy levels haven't been as good as I would expect. I, I'm curious out of this if, if we're going to see um, some some new fans for San Jose because you mentioned the Quakes and, and the way Matias Almeida has them set up to play. They're playing the sort of football. The, the, the teams we we, mount, we uh, water at the mouth over in Europe, like Bielsa's Leeds and Atalanta, etc. Uh, San Jose, uh, and I, I think a lot of MLS fans are going to be angry. I see this, right, because they, they never talk about San Jose. San Jose right now, to me, based on the group stage games I've watched and, and some of last season um, are the closest thing you have to that at MLS. They are playing that type of football. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know uh, why ESPN and Fox haven't picked up on that in terms of, of, of showcasing them more. Uh, they don't have the individual stars, although they do have Chris Wondolowski in his last season. But uh, they are playing the sort of football that I think uh, would appeal to kind of core soccer fans, core football fans. Uh, I'm not sure that many other teams in MLS are playing that way. So so thank you for mentioning San Jose. I actually had that in my, mentally that I wanted to mention that and had uh, forgotten to. All right, so we'll move on, Kartik, because we've got a bunch of uh, listener feedback this week, and also we've got some ratings to talk about too. But before we get to that, let's talk about TV streaming news, and uh, I'll have you lead it off. Yeah, uh, Dave Roberts, who follows us on Twitter and is a great Twitter follower and very engaged with us, uh, informs us that a new study uh, released this week shows that approximately 32% of U.S. TV households don't have traditional pay TV subscriptions. Another 25% of households identified as, uh, quote, cord shavers or those that have cut back their pay TV service. The study asked those who called themselves cord shavers how likely they were to cut the cord fully within the next six months, and 45% said they were likely to do so. Uh, Chris, I fit into that 45%. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I've just shelled out more money now for Peacock Premium and for CBS All Access, so I'm very much on the fence, and I've cut back uh, on my DirecTV package. Um, 
to a more basic package. So I guess this is a critical year for uh, the cable and satellite industry uh, when when you think about it this way and when you see these numbers. Yeah, and, and Peacock is a perfect example of that too, where NBC and, and Comcast and Xfinity are looking at the future or looking at the present really and saying, okay, well, if we're losing a lot of these subscribers from cable, how can we keep them as, as paying customers on, on the uh, the cord cutting side or the cord shaving side? And uh, Peacock is a good example of that too, where you have a library of content, some original content, but then one of the draws, at least for us and, and the viewers and listeners, uh, is um, the Premier League and, and putting more and more games on there. The final day of the season of the Premier League this Sunday, and it's going to be, uh, I think, five of those games yep. are going to be on Peacock. And I, I was shocked to see that because uh, we have had all 10 matches spread across the Sci-Fis and the Bravos before MSNBC. I know with MSNBC last year, there was breaking news and it uh, interrupted a Spurs match, which was a critical match, actually, for Spurs to finish in the top four. Uh, but so I, so I wasn't surprised that was removed from the rotation. But all of the non-sports channels, I think, are, are or off. CNBC is not a sports channel, obviously, but they've shown a lot of Premier League in the past. So you're down to USA, NBC, NBCSN, Golf, and uh, and uh, CNBC. Five, only five matches on television from 10 the previous six seasons that NBC had the rights. So if that's not a, a wake-up call to people that things are moving pretty rapidly, uh, as you have written about repeatedly, Chris, at World Soccer Talk, towards streaming of the Premier League, I think uh, the Championship Sunday uh, fixture list and, and, and where they're being shown, I, th- I think that jolted people uh, when it was announced uh, on Wednesday, quite honestly. And, and I wasn't surprised based on what we've been talking about, but I will admit I was a little disappointed by it, but I wasn't yep. surprised at all. Yeah, and of the five matches that are going to be televised on Sunday for Championship Sunday, uh, starting at 11, a- 11 o'clock Eastern time, those five all have uh, implications or ramifications on the either the Europe uh, qualifying for the Champions League or Europa League or trying to avoid relegation. The five that do not have anything to do, a bit basically a dead rubbers, uh, those are on Peacock and also NBC Sports Gold. And, and that, that will be the final day of NBC Sports Gold for the Premier League next season. Uh, everything is going to be, well, 175 games are going to be exclusive to Peacock. So moving on, uh, we've heard from a, we've heard back from a representative. We've reached out to them at the Scottish uh, Professional Football League about the future of Scottish Premiership rights on US TV and or streaming. And then according to the representative, he told us that uh, rest assured, we are working hard at it and have a few conversations ongoing ahead of the season, starting on August the first. So August the first is is right around the corner, um, just over a week away. And uh, the Scottish uh, you know, SPFL are, are trying to find a broadcaster here because BR Live, um, their uh, co- current contract with the Scottish uh, Professional Football League ended uh, at the close of the 2019-2020 season. Uh, they are not renewing. So where does that go to? I mean, does that go to an ESPN Plus? Uh, does that go to a, a DAZN or will... You mean as soon as we know, we'll go ahead and uh, publish that at worldsoccertalk.com. But uh, that's the latest on the, uh, you mean the Celtics and the Rangers and the Aberdeens of the world. Uh, so, so keep an eye out for that one. And then Kartik, um, anything else going on as far as any any more news you want to talk about? Yeah. So, uh, just real quickly, you know, I. I, I 
been raising this the last several weeks, especially since the Premier League restart. It kind of toned down this week, but NBC seems to be committed to filling a lot of their programming time in their pregame and post-match shows uh, with with Jose Mourinho press conferences. I mean, even to the point where uh, Rebecca Lowe will be halftime of another match and Spurs would have played earlier and she'll say, we'll have Jose Mourinho's press press conference and his comments. You're not going to want to miss this uh, after the break type of thing. And uh, NBC has gotten to me with Mourinho uh, since he he went to Spurs. I mean, obviously, there's always been this Mourinho fascination in, in the media, uh, but they've gotten very skylike in mm-hmm. how they cover Mourinho and how they they overplay everything he talks about, everything he does, magnify everything he says, and have these really kind of strange studio discussions, which uh, I, I think based on um, – Robbie Musto's tenure about it. He's not really interested in, in, in having the same conversation <laughs> over and over again. Um, so it, I, I just contrast it with the way ESPN FC handles Mourinho and uh, Burley and, and Shaka in particular, uh, Craig Burley and Shaka Hislop are, are just biting in their viewpoint about him. So um, I just wonder if NBC's coverage of Mourinho, which is very sensational where they're hanging on every word he says, and he's provocative for, for a reason has been directly influenced by Comcast's takeover of Sky. And this is sort of uh, part of the skyification of, of NBC's Premier League coverage that we've seen little bits and pieces of in the, in the two years or year and a half since, since, since the takeover. Yeah, this, the sad thing about this, Kartik, is that uh, Jose still has appeal in terms of what he says. So, so a lot of people who dislike Jose, I mean, I, I think you and I are probably not in this equation, but a lot of people who dislike Jose will will come back to that, will wait after that commercial break to find out what crazy thing he he's just said again, which he seems to be many times out of touch and out of reality. Um, but he's doing it on purpose. I mean, the things he's saying are uh, manipulative. You mean, he's saying the things he's saying because there's a reason for that. Uh, or, or the other side of things, too, that people just... Uh, there's a lot of um, viewers and, and, and uh, listeners, I'm sure, that uh, have a lot of respect for him and hang on to the, everything that he says and will listen and watch that, uh, sometimes for the pure enjoyment of it, or sometimes for, okay, that's an, inter- that's an interesting take. What will he say next? And and it's still throughout the uh, the Premier League, I mean... Probably Jurgen Klopp's the only other person that uh, he has that such a, a, an appeal to the to the viewer. Yeah, uh, but the the problem I have with the Mourinho thing is uh, Klopp says some some controversial things from time to time, and we know Sir Alex Ferguson was a master of that. But um, there is the, the the thing with Mourinho that bothers me now is that. Um, he and I, again, I, I don't want to get too deep into fan bases, but I think Manchester United fans were are, are much are sophisticated football fans, and most of them didn't buy into any of his rants. But I see the anger towards Michael Oliver in particular, who I think is you know at times not a very not the best center referee in, in the Premier League. We've seen him get demoted to the Championship at, at times uh, a season or two ago. But uh, the anger towards this one individual that I see on social media because it's been incited by Mourinho's comments reminds me of the sort of things we see in politics in the United States and in the United Kingdom when political figures attack people personally. And to me, that's where NBC and Sky may have a responsibility to draw a line because um, Mm -hmm. Michael Oliver is still a referee trying to do his job, whether he's in the VAR booth, whether he's the fourth official, whether he's the center referee. He gets assigned to a lot of Spurs matches for some reason. Uh, Maybe that's just what happens, right, when you're a Premier League official. I mean, you cannot, you can't, uh, we have the famous case of Mark Clattenburg not being assigned to Everton matches at Goodison for many years because of that 
that controversy, but you generally can't avoid a team, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I it concerns me because I think the, the people who are fans of Mourinho um, – and uh, we saw this at Chelsea. We saw it less so at Manchester United, and I think there's just a difference in those two fan bases. Um, I'm not insulting Chelsea's fan base. I just think there's a just a difference in, in how uh, uh, how those two fan bases interacted with Mourinho. That um, they that he is inciting anger and uh, and nastiness towards individuals, whether it's Mike Riley, whether it's uh, Michael Oliver, whether it's. Uh, 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 someone having to do with, with, the, with the league directly or the FA directly, and I, I just don't think that's good for football. So mm -hmm. if you're a broadcaster, at what point do you have an obligation to, to not uh, air that? Because uh, social media is poisonous enough, and my overall concern about Mourinho is he, is he is inciting anger towards particularly referees, right? That's generally who it's directed towards. And now specific referees. It's not just referees as an entire uh, community of, of, of officials. It's, it's specifically one referee in Michael Oliver uh, recently. Yeah, definitely, and and, and th those are good points too, Kartik, and and that and that is happening for sure, and and it's putting pressure on these referees when that's got to be the hardest job in the business um, to be. You mean you mean with kind of scrutinized so much and to try to make all those right decisions. Uh, and last but not least, in, in the new segment, uh, Liga MX returns. The Mex Mexican Football League returns this weekend, uh, Friday. The first match is uh, Nakaxa against Tigres. Uh, big game there, 8.30 p.m. Uh, Eastern on Tuduene and uh, Fubo TV. And also this weekend, too, you've got uh, Chivas, uh, who have now got the rights in the United States, which are going to be on Telemundo. So in the past, uh, Chivas games uh, oftentimes were on Chivas TV, which is a, an OTT uh, paid subscription channel, uh, also sometimes available through YouTube, but sometimes you, ha you had to pay for it. But uh, this now adds uh, a huge player in the, the TV ratings market because you've got uh, not do only do you have Club America and uh, Cruz Azul and some of these uh, uh, other teams uh, being featured on U.S. television, uh, but now you have Chivas on Telemundo, uh, which should generate some big numbers. They've got the game against Leon um, on Saturday night at 8 p.m. Eastern prime time. Um, so that's huge for the Mexican. Yeah, league. Chris, I, I, I had a lot of conversations about this since it happened last week, and and uh, there's um, there's a general sense that this is. Uh, uh, that there's been some cost cutting at Univision and 2DNA and that they were not able to pursue this. Uh, and now that Chivas is back on linear television and is going to be on, on Telemundo, that this represents a pretty, pretty strong threat on, uh, you know, every other weekend or every other match to their, um, to, to their ratings dominance uh, on, on Saturday and Friday nights, right. Or whichever night Chivas ends up playing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, this uh, keep an, we're going to keep an eye on this. Obviously, we tracked it, the uh, the ratings every week, but let's see if the ratings for Liga Emeki's matches that do not involve Chivas that are on 2DNA uh, come down when Chivas is playing. Not just track the Chivas ratings on Telemundo, but the concern I've heard from multiple people is that Udivision is concerned that uh, this will just diminish interest in some of the other teams. Now they still have America. Uh, who are arguably bigger than Chivas in this country. I mean, they're one and two. They still have Cruz Azul. They still have uh, uh, a, a great package. But this, uh, 
this is a potential threat, and it's going. It's gone to their main rival. So uh, yeah. uh, watch the space, and also uh, more soccer for NBC Universal. So that's a that's a big uh, a step forward for them. Yeah, and who knows with NBC uh, Universal too? Because sometimes when they've had games. Uh, in Spanish language, sometimes they've found a way to figure out a way to actually pr- uh, broadcast those games on English language, either streaming or on television sometimes. So there's the possibility, I mean, you never know that you could have, if it's a big Chivas Club America game and it's uh, Telemundo has the uh, rights to the home uh, Chivas games, that uh, if it's a late broadcast on, on a, I don't know, Sunday night or something like that, when there's not much on NBCSN or whatever night of the week it is on, that they could actually broadcast that in Spanish. And there's a lot of incentive, I think, uh, speaking of the MLS back, it's back tournament for folks to watch uh, Chivas because uh, you could argue, in spite of Vela, Vela is obviously sitting out this tournament. Chicharito uh, was playing poorly, got injured, is out. Alan Polito, uh, you could argue, is the best Mexican player right now in Major League Soccer, playing for Kansas City, and he obviously was a star for Chivas uh, before he came to Kansas City. So there's also um, something I've noticed the last few years is more and more MLS fans are watching Liga MX as there's more interaction between the two leagues. So uh, this is, uh, again, another another potential viewer viewing base for NBC, Universal, whatever uh, uh, tack they take with this, if it's beyond Telemundo or even just for Telemundo, because we've seen, I think, a little more crossover audience the last few years. The ratings, uh, not not maybe not maybe not as many people as as. Uh, we had thought, but still more and more English language uh, dominant fans, uh, MLS fans watching uh, Liga MX. Yeah, and I would add to that too. I don't think it's only just uh, MLS fans, but I'd say fans of other other teams and other leagues too. Yeah. So even even fans of Premier League clubs, and it's a Saturday night or a Sunday night or a Friday night, and there's not much else on, and they might be watching more of the the, the Mexican league than before. So so moving on to TV ratings, which is a good segue, Kartik, is that. Um, as the numbers keep on coming in, and, and again, we, we're, we keep on reporting these at worldsoccertalk.com. We have a, a weekly column that's the, uh, the, uh, the most watched games, you mean usually the t- top 20 or top 30 games, and, and it's ranked uh, in order of you know, the highest uh, viewing number to, to the lowest. It's interesting, Kartik, because with the MLS is back, it's given us a, a good sample of data that we haven't been able to to look at before. And then, for example, it's the first time ever we've had so many of, of the teams featured on national television. Uh, so it provides everyone the metrics to show how popular or not some of these teams are that hardly ever appear on nationwide TV broadcasts. And uh, we were mentioning San Jose before, and we had I know, JP Manning uh, several weeks ago, uh, one of our listeners and followers saying, like, we're not giving uh, San Jose as much uh, credit or focus. And, and my reply was, well, they're hardly ever on national television. I think other than the, uh, the Cali Classico, uh, against the local rivals, and other than that, that's about the only uh, national television uh, appearance that they get. Well, from the last since what July eighth, uh, last uh, two or three weeks, we've had every single team from Major League Soccer uh, broadcast on national television, whether it's ESPN, ESPN Deportes, uh, or FS1 or, or Fox. The, the second thing, though, too, that uh, the sample is giving us is it's the first time ever that there have been MLS games on without competition from other sports. 
uh, other other American sports, and and that changes today uh, Thursday as we're recording this with the, the return of Major League Baseball, and we'll see if um, baseball cannibalizes some of the uh, MLS numbers moving forward as it's getting ready to go move into the to the round of uh, well the knockout stages of the MLS is back, but. But given Kartik, those two major metrics, I mean, what's your take on, on some of the numbers that we've seen from the past week or two that, that we have in front of us here? Look, I'm, I'm disappointed. I was really hopeful that this would be a breakthrough for the league uh, in this country. And uh, the ratings have not been terrible. I'm not pretending that, but they've been uh, not what I had hoped. And, and uh, you mentioned the, the key thing, baseball. I, uh, I, I will continue to, uh, to feel that the uh, American media, both uh, on, on news channels and on sports channels, the, the talk shows on Fox and ESPN. You know, ESPN should be so invested in this tournament, right? But they can't get their talk shows to talk about MLS and uh, or soccer in general, right? To talk about the Premier League or, or, or Serie A. They're showing Serie A matches uh, every day, it seems, and, and uh, uh, they, they can't get these shows to talk about that. And then uh, on the news channels, it's just baseball's the great American sport, even though interest in soccer is greater among younger people among key demographics than in baseball. And uh, there is this bias in newsrooms, which is fueling uh, this feeling that somehow sports is coming back in this country today, even though NWSL has been playing for a month and MLS has been playing for 15 days now. Uh, I'm really... I, I, I'm disgusted by it. I know I expressed this in the last podcast. I've gotten angrier as the week has gone on about it. Uh, yeah, I, I want I, we can bash MLS and say the ratings aren't as good as they should be or we wanted them to be. I will say that. They're not as good as I wanted them to be. But I, I'm realizing a lot of this is out of their control now, that we just live in a, an American society that has some underlying hostility to this sport, even if they don't demonstrate it overtly. And uh, I, I just – I don't – I don't know what it's going to take. I mean, it's it's got to happen at some time. I mean, people have to – people who are editors in newsrooms must go to shopping malls or obviously no one's gone anywhere in the last five months. But prior to that, go to places where they see people wearing Liverpool kits or they see people wearing Club America kits or Boca Juniors kits. They have to understand the gravity of this sport. But they don't, they don't ever want to embrace it. They don't ever want to seem to put it on the same level as they put sports, which quite frankly, uh, people in the key demographics in this country are less interested in, including baseball. So um, that's my rant on this. I'm, yeah. I'm disappointed, but it's, we, it's just it's out of MLS's control, I guess, at this point. Yeah, we, we, we talked a little bit about this last week, and, and, and to, I, I gave it a lot of thought over the last seven days or so uh, after, this, after talking about it in depth in last week's podcast. Part of me, Kartik, wonders because we we basically last week made a blanket statement saying that we were just really disillusioned by the lack of popularity of soccer uh, on on U.S. television. We were like, "There's nothing else going on. This is the only major sport that's on television, and it's accessible. There's no, there's no. You, you can't say like, oh, I, I don't have.'" Uh, I don't know, be in sports or FS2. These were on FS1, ESPN, uh, also, of course, NBCSN, as well as, um, you know, Tudo NA, whatever channels. These are very accessible cable channels that uh, even for cord cutters, too, are very accessible. This is not the be in sports of the world here. But then the, the more I thought about it, Kartik, is are these numbers more of a representation of, of Major League Soccer rather than soccer as a whole? And and we saw the numbers for for the Bundesliga, and um, I think the first week, first week or two, they were averaging about about four hundred thousand viewers for those games, which was decent. Which is for the Bundesliga is fantastic, 
but I was expecting those to be much greater than that. Yeah. Um, but we look at the numbers from this past week. We looked at, I mean, last last Sunday. I was game. expecting, quite honestly, Chris. Sorry to cut you Go off. But I was expecting the Premier League uh, numbers to continue to be as high as they were the first week or two back on on SN, and they haven't been. I, I just uh, uh, they've kind of flatlined. They're not bad. Don't get right, me wrong. But right. They, it hasn't gotten the bump that I had expected being basically uncontested on television yeah and, and just to throw out a couple of numbers here just to give some uh, perspective so nbcsn last sunday was spurs against leicester and that was uh 557 000 viewers for that one and then you had the the thursday game which was the man united against crystal palace last thursday uh 304 000, uh viewers for that one again that's a 315 kickoff so it's, it's mid mid afternoon eastern time during office hours, if we can say office hours anymore, who knows yeah. with the crazy world we live in. But but those numbers are yeah they're they're decent, but they're they're not like through the roof. Uh, I guess I guess in a way though too, Kartik, we'll have to wait and see what the, this Chelsea Liverpool number was like. Um, you have the Pulisic uh, factor where you know, he's playing out of his skin right now, and then the Liverpool. Um, fandom in terms of you mean seeing them raise the trophy on on the cop, and and that's a again a, a mid afternoon Eastern time game on, on a weekday. What would that number be? Would that number again? It's on NBCSN, but would that number be you know seven hundred and fifty thousand people? If so, that's an incredible number. But but for the most part, I mean that's what made me think was like okay, well, Liga MX we know that those numbers are strong, and I think for one of the um, the Copa por Mexico tournament that they had, their friendly tournament, kind of their version of MLS is back, which is a lot smaller. But there was one of the games, I forgot which one, that had, I think, more than a, a million viewers for that. So those are good numbers. But one of the things that came up through the comments and the feedback on, on our podcast from last week, Kartik, is that, um, and I can't remember who it was, and I, I couldn't find the comment, but it was from somebody saying that their perspective on these numbers without any major sports going on, other sports going on, is that they believe that a lot of these numbers are driven by expats. So, for example, which I thought was an interesting take because, you I mean, a lot of the Liga MX, the Mexican numbers are driven by either Mexicans or Mexican-Americans. Yeah. And I can see that as a major factor. Uh, and, and they were saying, too, a lot of the, the Premier League numbers were driven really by either expats or Anglophiles. You mean people that are into Downton Abbey or into watching a lot of uh, British? Oh, there is definitely yeah. So, so, so That's there, there's, 100%. There, there's that factor too. I mean, it, it it's probably hard to find a fan of watching the Premier League who's not an Anglophile. If somebody right. hates England, they're probably not into the Premier League. I would guess. I would imagine. But but even like Serie A, and you kind of think, okay, well, the large Italian American communities in in New York and the Portuguese uh, numbers that we get for the Premier League, uh, you look at those and say, okay, there's a lot of expat communities. Even the well, I think the Barcelona and Real Madrid is different, but but still, it's more of the the Spanish speaking audience, uh, yeah. kind of a, an expat in a way. And and that made me wonder too whether or not that was a factor in, in some of these numbers and, and why we're kind of seem to be always plateauing. We, we can't get that, that huge leap to the, to the next level. And like I said last week too, until, you mean, the US wins a World Cup, uh, soccer seems to be, from a viewership perspective, a once-in-every-four-years viewing experience. 
Yeah, and that's that's what's so frustrating is that you don't have any of the kind of uh, crossover from people who watched uh, the Women's World Cup, for example, to watch NWSL or, or, or the, the Men's World Cup to watch the Premier League or the uh, or, or uh, uh, MLS. The ratings for those leagues didn't go up after 2018, after the 2018 World Cup or the 2019 Women's World Cup. And yeah, I, I guess maybe the Premier League's numbers now are also impacted by the fact that a lot of expats are, are trapped in, in Britain. They they went back and and uh, because of travel restrictions haven't come back uh but yeah I, I i'm looking for an explanation because i had thought especially after the first week of the bundesliga's return and their numbers and then the first week of the premier league the numbers were uh eye-catching and they've just flatlined or actually gone down since then so uh, that's uh, it may also have to do with a lot of matches that have been meaningless uh, it's been a, a summer I know they're calling it the summer of soccer, my Premier League summer, but it's been a summer of dead rubbers, really. Um, which is why, I mean, I geeked out on the Watford-West Ham match because uh, I thought, oh my gosh, this is a meaningful match for both teams. We haven't had many of those. Um, you'll say the same thing, obviously, about Leicester and, and Man United this Sunday. But um, that's uh, uh, that may be a factor, but I don't know. I, it, it's, it, it's probably deeper, like what we're talking about. It probably is not... Uh, has nothing to do with the table or individual uh, importance of matches. And and again, MLS, MLS is back. Every match, at least in theory, has had something on the line. And uh, the numbers have been okay, but uh, they haven't. They they just they haven't been what I thought they could be. Yeah, and actually, I would argue, Kartik, that um, yes, there have been some dead rubbers, but looking at match week thirty-seven for the Premier League, all ten of those matches had implications on either, I mean, top four or uh, qualification for Europe or relegation. So every single match mattered there, but there have been some dead, dead rubbers. But what I would say, though, Kartik, is that in um, this whole coronavirus has been, you know, absolutely dreadful, but. It's been a perfect storm for, I mean, we didn't plan it this way, but a perfect storm for having an opportunity for soccer to be televised on national television with no competition, with some some great teams involved from various leagues and, and uh, uh, around the world on television and, and an opportunity for us to see, okay, how popular is soccer Despite all the craziness going on, despite uh, people I mean, cutting the cord and and uh, being um, probably doing different things than they would have done on a, on a normal basis, but if we ever wanted evidence that soccer is really not taking off, this this was it. And uh, and again, too, I think part of that is Major League Soccer. Um, but it's not all Major League Soccer because the, even some of the other numbers have been, eh, they've been, they've been okay. And, and like you said too, Kartik, that the MLS numbers are, are not bad. It's just that um, having these games, the, the, the nine o'clock games are on a on a Eastern nine a.m. Eastern on ESPN with MLS is back. That was a test. Those numbers were, you mean know, what on the one hundred and fifty thousand or less. Rough, yeah. Roughly, um, the eight o'clock Eastern games have been like what in the two hundreds, uh, and then the ten thirty Eastern games. Depending on what channel it's on, if it's FS one or an or an ESPN or an ESPN two, uh, and depending on who's playing, those numbers have been anywhere from like the the hundreds to the two hundreds. So nothing. It's it's just a normal season. This is the normal numbers we're, yeah, we we get to experience. Yeah, nothing this week actually among MLS games, which was uh, at least on English language television, which was uh, stunning. Uh, but they yeah, and, and there've been some uh, some some low rating 
matches. You know, there have been some matches that have been under 100, which we see from time to time, which uh, yeah. has been stunning. One other observation on the TV ratings this week, and, and I know uh, you and I discussed this offline, uh, ESPN's numbers for some random Serie A matches that they're showing mid-afternoon uh, being in the 100,000s, 100, like 171,000 for uh, Cagliari and, and Sassuolo. Uh, this tells me... What a bad job FS, uh, Fox and FS1 have done promoting the Bundesliga. Because these matches, uh, there's a Sampdoria match. I know that got a decent number also in there. And, and uh, uh, there was obviously Atalanta, Hellas Verona, which was an exciting match. Everybody likes watching Atalanta. It's a match I watched also. Close to 200,000 viewers. You could not find Bayern matches get these sorts of numbers on FS1 uh, or even close to them. And, and that just tells me, one, the power of ESPN, but two, the power of promotion, because ESPN is pretty regularly, to their credit, I'm, I'm complaining about their, their hosts and their talk shows um, and SportsCenter, et cetera. But in terms of during at least the MLS matches, they're pretty heavily promoting Serie A and that they have a Serie A match. Hey, especially during the 9 a.m. MLS kickoffs. Hey, we got a Serie A match at, at, at one o'clock. Uh, join Mark Donaldson and Matteo Benetti, et cetera. And uh, that is reflecting in some increased viewership, which uh, uh, tells me, should should, uh, should Sampdoria be getting higher numbers in the U.S. than Bayern Munich? Uh, no, but they are. They are as yeah. a, uh, since the since the restart. So uh, that again puts the ESPN versus Fox discussion into into full view. It's not just about how Fox covers the matches. We've had plenty of critiques of that through the years. It's the promotion and how they don't promote uh, certain properties, and and they just kind of flip the switch on things. And by the way, people who watch other sports complain about this too to me. Uh, it's only the NFL, I understand, that Fox is really good at promoting and Fox is really good at covering. Um, and as a, someone who watches golf, uh, I've said this on a previous show several weeks ago, I'm so relieved that the U.S. Open is returning to NBC because it's, 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 it's the coverage, it's the promotion, it's all of it. Uh, so I, I think that's pretty telling. So Serie A doing better yeah. uh, on ESPN than the Bundesliga did on Fox, which uh, I, I don't know if that now with the Bundesliga moving to ESPN, if that uh, takes some uh, clips Serie A's wings a bit, or if uh, this means Serie A may emerge as uh, as that that uh, third most watched league among European leagues in the U.S. Uh, behind. Uh, Premier League and La Liga. And of course, La Liga has a muddled television situation. So who knows? Maybe we're looking at second. Yeah. Well, what I would say just to close this uh, segment out, Kartik, is that the biggest winner in this summer of soccer, which every summer is a summer of soccer, but in this summer of soccer is ESPN+. Plus. I mean, Serie A getting a lot of um, featured limelight and and, uh, and getting some, some decent numbers compared to other leagues that, uh, like you said, the Bundesliga. And then, of course, the Bundesliga move into uh, ESPN+. Plus. So now, I mean, Serie A is going to be starting up again before you know it. With their next season, ESPN+, Plus, the championship ESPN+. Plus. Uh, MLS, I mean, you pr- practically everything is moving to, oh, it's already there, uh, is ESPN+. Plus. But... Um, this has been a great opportunity for ESPN Plus or ESPN to feature a lot of their programming and to convince people to subscribe to ESPN Plus uh, before they raise the prices. All right, 
Let's move to let's listen to mailbag. We got a lot of great feedback this week, and uh, we really appreciate uh, everyone's input. First up is Robert. Um, in the last couple of days, there have been some, uh, a couple of games that caused me to want to add to your discussion. Some of the criticism of MLS misses the point. To me, a football league has to be competitive, entertaining, have and have a decent quality of play. Some of the MLS games have had all three. Some did not. The recent EPL games have been the same. Some very good uh, games and some truly terrible games. The difference is the bad games in the EPL had rosters full of millionaires. I partly agree with Kartik about the MLS season being full of somewhat meaningless games. The same can be said for the Premier League. Fairly early in the season, it became apparent who the top four to five and the bottom four to five will be. The middle ten are basically all just filler. This year was more competitive because several of the normal top five or six were terrible, considering their payroll. The hardworking teams like uh, Wolverhampton, Burnley and Leicester could not challenge the top two, but often were very entertaining. So for me, with the MLS, you get what you pay for. It has become a very competitive league that is not dominated by a couple of teams. And the playoff system sometimes allows late gelling teams to come up winners. Now, Kartik, I'll just chime in with a couple of my takes on this one, too, is that uh, while I agree with Robert on some points, to me, I don't know, to me, yes. I mean, as far as the very, very top, so usually the top two, uh, so whether it's Liverpool or Manchester City or, I mean, next season we hope that, I mean, Chelsea looks a lot stronger, Man United looks a lot stronger, um, that's probably about it. Those top four are going to go strong next season. There's always that hope that maybe between those four, it'll be more, a lot more competitive. But uh, take those top two out of the equation. The rest of it's still been entertaining. I mean, to me, that um, we're coming down to the wire, um, to the last game of the season, to, to determine who's going to make, make that uh those Champions League spots, uh, as well as the Europa League spots, as well as relegation. You I mean only right now we only know that uh, one of those teams is is going down. And then I looked Kartik at last last year's um, MLS season, the, the the decision day, the final game of the season. And uh, out of the final game of the season, with with twelve games being played, any guess of how many of those games um, were? Meaning, meaningful that that determined uh well there's no relegation you mean there's no champion so how many of those final day season games uh determined who would make the playoffs um probably who would make the playoffs maybe one i i think seeding was on the line in a lot of matches but in terms of who made the playoffs maybe one or two yeah it, it was two so seeding yeah so seeding as far as having the home home field advantage um that's not factored in, in my two but but really to me two of those final uh, uh 12 games on the final day of the season had to me to me the home field factor is important for those those clubs but for me the neutral watching the games i i don't really care actually it may not goal. be i i think uh what we're finding in mls is that it doesn't seem to make a difference yeah <laughs> unfortunately um i know they tweak the playoff format to try and make it mean more and and credit to the league for doing that year one the takeaway was that it meant just as little as it did before with the two legs i i, I guess at the end of the day for me personally it's just uh i mean all soccer is good so whatever leagues or clubs fans enjoy the most i mean i encourage them to to watch more of that uh i try to dabble as much as i can and watch as much leagues and games and clubs as i can 
Um, but there's differences, and sometimes, I mean, a lot, a lot of our listeners have different things that they're looking for that they enjoy better. Um, so whether it's the technical side of things in terms of soccer, whether it's the coaching side and kind of more the, the manager influence or if it's just uh, the style of play, um, I mean, yeah, but, but some good feedback there from Robert. Rico Richardson says, the problem is real simple. Soccer need, leagues need to market, actually invest better in advertisements to the American audience. They don't do that. MLS doesn't do that. And I would argue, Kartik, that MLS probably makes more of an attempt to market Major League Soccer than most leagues do. I mean, you, you look at Fox, FS1, FS2, ESPN, uh, 2DNA, and you count the number of times that those channels are co-promoting or uh, cross-promoting and, and talking about, uh, hey, coming up this weekend, or even if it's a game, with Fox is a good example, even if it's a Bundesliga game that has absolutely no relevance to Major League Soccer, it's a love MLS promos. Coming up Sunday night, we've got uh, Colorado against Sporting Kansas City, you mean, those types of things. Um, I would argue that MLS probably does more, uh, actually, uh, promotion rather than um, less. Next up is uh, Joey Fleming. Listening to your chat on Serie A, and I thought I'd chime in. I personally won't watch another game in that league until they make a genuine attempt to sort out their overt racism is- issues. Kartik, do you, uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, I get a lot of um, a lot of people saying that. So that that's not um, that's not unusual, and I think that that's something they have working against them. Um, so uh, that probably creates a ceiling in uh in the u.s and maybe also even in the uk in terms of the uk i think it's just limited for any non uh british league um that probably is going to hurt it in the u.s and you contrast that with the uh, uh with, with with the bundesliga which has been all in on black lives matter uh is it that that might be when I just said that there's a competition between those two leagues and they're both going to be on ESPN platforms starting next season. Um, maybe that gives the advantage of the Bundesliga, quite frankly. I mean, I think more um, cosmopolitan type football fans, uh, there are a lot. It's not just uh, Joey. It's it's. I've gotten it from about a dozen people when I promote Serie A. Well, I can't watch that league because of the racism. So it's not just an isolated thing. Next up is uh, Jessica Shea, and Jessica says, I listened to the podcast on Spotify today. Very good. Have you all considered the reason for lower TV numbers is perhaps due to people cutting the cord and also getting with fewer streaming services to save? And and Jessica, the feedback on this one would be that um, oftentimes that even the, the TV numbers do factor in the streaming numbers too. So, for example... Uh, if I subscribe to Fubo TV and I'm watching FS1 and watching one of the MLS's back uh, games, even though I'm not uh, subscribed to a cable service or, or a satellite service to watch that FS1, if you look in, in for example, in Fubo TV in, in the settings, uh, it's already the default is is that and there's actually a message there that says that uh, uh, you will be. You mean your your viewing habits are, are being monitored, basically, and that uh, that will be part of the Nielsen numbers that uh, they report on on, on sharing. Um, you mean how many people are watching games, etc. Now you you can actually switch that off if you want to. That's just one example. But Sling TV, Fubo TV, uh, YouTube TV, etc. A lot of those uh, numbers are 
aggregated with with the TV viewing numbers. So even though the TV viewing numbers, we see some dips sometimes. Um, I don't believe from the streaming side, unless somebody cut the cord on the streaming side isn't what is watching these games illegally, which we know happens. Those numbers are not counted. So, but that that's definitely a point of um, that that uh, is definitely hurting TV numbers. Kelly Outlaw says, I'm a huge American sports fan, NFL, American football, basketball, but the past five years, soccer has been my favorite, especially MLS. The media bias is sickening and disrespectful to fans of the sport. Most Americans think soccer is a soft and uh, soft sport with very little action, when in actuality, MLS games are way more exciting than most NBA games. The NFL benefited hugely from fantasy football. Baseball is unbearable. The NFL TV numbers are undeniably good, but NBA TV numbers are down the past few years. NBA numbers are down even with the majority of the stories on the sports shows, sports uh, talking head shows being mostly NFL and NBA driven. Give Major League Soccer a few segments on those shows and the numbers will grow. Yeah, I completely agree there, Kartik. I think, um, but it, it is frustrating though too when you kind of watch. You know, I've been watching probably. I'll watch an ESPN broadcast of an MLS back is back game from nine to, to eleven a.m. Eastern, and then right after that is I don't know first take or something like that, and they have like five talking heads, and immediately psh, they, they transition to hey, there's a story about an NFL player that uh, just tweeted something, and, and here's what he's saying or whatever, which. To me, is not news, but it it it, it changes. Then it's yeah. It, they don't even acknowledge the game that just took place. Right. I mean, it's it, it, it's crazy. And uh, uh, I I become more irritated. I mean, I've been aware of this my whole life, yeah. right? But I've got become more irritated in the last fourteen days, really, since MLS kicked back off about it because it to me it's it, it's really blatant i think some of these people are going out of their way to not mention soccer some of it is subconscious a lot of it i believe is conscious and uh this brings me back to the whole point is i've been on kind of the reform side of american soccer wanting to have pro rel wanting to have solidarity payments wanting to flip the calendar etc but one thing i would always tell other reformers and they would tell me oh no you know if we do all this soccer will be the biggest thing in in this country is that there is a built-in bias against the sport in this country and you have to give some deference to mls based on that they would always deny that to me but now i mean i don't think anyone can deny it after these last few weeks when NWSL and MLS are the only two things playing. And uh, yeah, the NWSL, the lack of coverage of NWSL also uh, has bothered me because that uh, is coming a year after the um, the U.S. women's team did so much to capture the imagination and, 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 and champion social uh, justice causes in this in this country. And um, as the country is inflamed and like the social justice revolution, there's very little talk of uh, the U.S. women and, and NWSL and the U.S. women's team. So I think there's just a outright bias out there. Okay, listeners, so stick with us because we've got some uh, additional great feedback from a lot of you, the listeners. So next up is JP. JP says, nice to see you guys finally come to the realization that soccer is still very much a niche sport here in the United States. I, too, expected ratings to improve with it being only the only game in town. Unfortunately, lots of people have the uh, soccer's boring mindset that our media and pop culture brain perpetuates and won't give it a chance. 
Uh, Premier League dominates here, I think, because of the common language and how easy it is to find on television, good marketing and consistent channels. EPL is what got me into club soccer from being just a World Cup, Euros and Champions League final fan, but immediately got hooked on La Liga along with Serie A in HD and English uh, commentary instead of the grainy RAI when BN Sports took over. Haven't looked back since. Uh, The Premier League has become unwatchable to me over uh, time in comparison. I haven't watched much MLS, but didn't even realize the camera angles were new. As Chris or Kartik said, looks like what La Liga and Serie A often provide with much of the field in view and can see the runs players are making and the attack develop. That's another reason I don't like the Premier League, the constant, tight, one-player focus when dribbling and the field almost cut in quarters in the attack zone. Can't see what's happening on top uh, or bottom half of the field or who the pass is intended uh, for or how a player got open. So some great feedback there uh, from the viewing perspective there from, from JP. Barry says, on the podcast, uh, you were referring or wondering why the Premier League gets so much more viewership in the US than any other European leagues, which um, you believe has higher quality soccer. I think the reasons are pretty obvious. Number one, style of play. This is not a phenomenon uh, restricted to the US. The Premier League generates far more international rights fees than any other European league. By viewership, is the most popular league in the world. The English all-action, more physical, more direct style of play seems to play well across the globe. It also helps that the English is one of the most common languages worldwide. Number two, competition. Uh, Juve has won eight Serie A titles in a row. So has Bayern in Germany. In the past 15 years, either Real Madrid or Barcelona have won every La Liga title except one. On the other hand, there have been five different champions in the last eight years in the Premier League. Number three, English language coverage, highlight shows, print articles, podcasts of the Premier League is far more extensive than uh, for any of the other major European leagues. And fourth and finally, historically, there has been more availability of Premier League telecasts in the United States than other European leagues. Kartik, uh, do you disagree with any of those uh, no i points? agree with all of that i think that that's all that's all uh correct and i think the style of play is really an important thing because i i uh have often talked about talked about american fans confusing entertainment with quality and uh the premier league is the most entertaining i mean i would argue the championship's the most entertaining league. we already had that conversation earlier but in terms of top flight leagues in the world the premier league is the most entertaining league i, I don't deny that at all i'd say bundesliga is probably number two but um, there's a difference between end-to-end action, which involves a lot of bad giveaways and defensive errors and like quality on the ball, touches, etc. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, those are all key factors. I also think um, there's the uh, the Anglophile factor you mentioned earlier, which people who watch Downton Abbey or watch Masterpiece Theater, they like, they like the Premier League. I mean, it, it's, it's a really interesting phenomena uh, of kind of – Anglicized Anglo-American culture taking hold. Uh, by the way, the same thing is true on the other side of the Atlantic. These people who watch American sitcoms and dramas and like Hollywood movies uh, often watch the NFL. Mm-hmm. I've found in Britain. Yeah, and, and there are people who have told me they watch the NFL and don't want. They don't like uh, our football. They don't like soccer right. over there, which I think is very weird. But that's their <laughs> their. Yan- I don't know what the term would be. Yankee files, I guess. American, American files. <laughs> uh, next up is R. Kujay, and he says, uh, "I have followed football since 1950s when." My- <laughs> 
when my now 40-something son started playing, there was zero coverage on television in the States uh, except for the World Cup. When we went to uh, my son's matches, people did not know the laws of the game. I put that off to the lack of, uh, due to the lack of exposure here. Fast forward to the late 1990s, going to my grandson's games. Same thing. When my son was young, it was said that soccer is the next big thing in America. Soccer will always be the next big thing here. I've stopped having the, this discussion with others. It's my game, the beautiful game. And I completely agree with that. I think um, the awareness yeah. of soccer has increased. Again, I keep on going back to when the US, if the US ever wins the World Cup, that would be the game changer. Uh, I mean, because and if there's no game changer after that one, then then we, we may as well just uh, just enjoy what we're enjoying and just uh, have the realization that this game is never going to be uh, bigger than what it is already, which is already bigger than what it was in the 1980s. So, no complaints here. Anthony says a few comments on the themes from the podcast. Number one. When the Bundesliga restarted, I watched a few of the games, mainly to get a glimpse of uh, Dortmund. Um, I think ha- uh, uh, Haaland, Erlen Haaland, uh, Jadon Sancho, etc. And to see how Leipzig and Bayern were looking. However, after a couple of weeks, it was clear that Bayern was going to win again, and it became less interesting. I've basically been watching the Premier League exclusively in recent weeks. For some reason, the way that NBC promotes the Premier League makes way more teams and matches compelling than the way the other leagues are covered. I can be happy watching a Sheffield United against Everton match. Uh, I, I know the history of the teams and understand the stakes, etc. I can't do the same for a Wolfsburg against Frankfurt game. Number two, I have watched a few of the MLS matches, but I don't really find most of the teams compelling, especially without fans, which do add a lot of uh, MLS, um, uh, which do add a lot for MLS TV broadcasts. Number three, I have been disappointed that more Americans aren't watching soccer. ESPN Sports Center seems to be promoting some other matches, but I'm not sure how many people watch Sports Center these days. Without a World Cup to draw casual fans in, a lot of people can't seem to get over the hump to watch soccer until the U.S. starts producing better players who then improve the U.S. men's national team and go on to play at a high level in Europe. It is going to be extremely tough to get more traction for any kind of club soccer in the U.S. So if you want soccer to succeed in the U.S., you simply need the men's national team to do better. And that, and that Kartik, uh, I agree completely with uh, a lot of the fate of, of soccer. The popularity of soccer yeah. is based on the U.S. men's national team. And my, my kind of... Uh, uh, estimation of where the U.S. men's national team is right now, and and not just the playing level, but the, the the probably the lowest morale among fans probably since I I, I can ever remember is yeah, at ever. a real real low. Um, so the optimism there there isn't a lot of optimism there for for the future. No, and uh, this is a this is a dilemma, right? And I, we talked about it when the U.S. missed the World Cup, and I've talked about it re- regularly that I always felt like the uh, national team was, un- for better or for worse, the gateway, um, and, and I wanted people to kind of embrace club football more in this country. And hey, you've got a local club, whether it's MLS or USL or uh, back in those days NASL, um, etc., that you should be you should be following the. Um, this goes back to conversations when you and I went to Germany in 2015. Um, 
even among people in the Bundesliga, and keep in mind, Germany had just won the World Cup a year earlier, uh, 15 months earlier, were like, you know, you guys are so focused on your national team. They knew American soccer culture, mm-hmm. that like the national team was a bigger deal there than the club teams. And uh, that's, uh, I guess, part of the uh, aspect of jingoism and nationalism in the U.S., um, I think it's unfortunate, but it, it, it's probably the reality. And I don't know that there's any uh, – look, I, I, we, we've reached heights with our national team that I, I don't know that we'll – on the men's side that we will we'll ever reach again uh, anytime soon. Obviously, hosting in 2026 is an opportunity. But I think back at our team in 2010, uh, that team very easily could have made the semifinals of the World Cup. I think about uh, kind of the, 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 the teams we had, 2002 people talk about, but really even 6 and 10, we had really – Really good teams that um, maybe didn't fulfill their potential in the World Cup, but outside World Cups were really good. Hey, Kartik. Uh, and, hey, yeah. hey Kartik, so, so you used to have a pinned tweet that you, you had for the longest time yes. up there. Do you remember what it said? Because it's not yeah, there it was anymore. About the club foot, it was about uh, go. F- uh, uh, a national team cannot drive football culture. Go support your club team. That's what matters. Um, and I still believe that, but. This country is different, and that's the way it works in Britain. I mean, in fact, I'm reading a book right now talking about how um, in England the national team is not po- is not popular. People gravitate around the national team every time they're in a tournament and seem to be doing well, but that uh, football culture is defined by your clubs. And Germany, we had that experience when we talked to uh, people at the Bundesliga when we went over there. And same thing would be said in Italy. Same thing would be said in Spain. Uh, the countries that, by the way, have been far more successful in, in international football than the U.S., um, but unfortunately here, that, that pin tweet, it still hasn't played out three years later. People <laughs> are always looking at American players and how they're going to fit into the national team, right. right? Even these MLS games, we're not talking about how some of these guys will do for ML, you know, if they move on from MLS or how they're going to help their impact their teams uh, in this tournament. We're saying, oh, that guy would be a good number six for the U.S., right? Everything goes through that lens, <laughs> which um, – I, to the credit of the Premier League, maybe the Premier League is partly responsible for people in, in England not thinking right away. Now, there are some writers like the Henry Winters, et cetera, that will still do it, but not saying, ah, oh, Ben Chilwell, he's got to be England's left back. They're thinking he's a really good young left back for Leicester and they could finish in the top four this season. That's, the, that's where we need to evolve to, in my opinion. All right, listeners. So we've got three more fantastic uh, listener mailbag uh, replies here and comments here. So so hang with us. Uh, I know we've got a lot to get through here. But next up is Rod. In the middle of a pandemic with a good part of the country under mandatory stay-at-home orders with nothing to do except watch television and a very good part of the country desperately craving any live sports, noting the, the absurdly large audiences for cornhole, pro uh, bowling, pro bull riding, and so on. The MLS game on Fox on July 11th, competing against only reruns and uh, the UFC preliminaries, with its 587,000 audience managed to be the lowest rated program of any of the type um, uh, any, any of type since the pandemic began, including reruns of news magazines and true crime mysteries, ball games played decades ago, game shows and so forth on any of the big four networks, and was lower than much of what appeared on the CW. And that was a case by a significant margin. Were it not for stay-at-home orders, the soccer game might have been the lowest-rated national television broadcast TV program ever. 
Sometimes there's a consternation in this space about why the ratings are so low. The speculation ranging from the quality of the broadcast to the quality of the announcing to the fact that a lot of MLS games are uh, counter-programmed directly against NFL or college football games or the World Series only to upend um, crushed. But it seems to me that the lesson here is that even without much in the way of sports alternatives, that the poor showing reveals that it is the game not the competition or the internal mistakes that is the problem. Whew. Wow. I I don't think it's the game, though, Kartik. I, I mean, to me, I honestly think... I mean, and again, this would never happen, right? You would never have a Manchester United against Liverpool or, or an Arsenal against Chelsea or, or a uh, Barcelona against Real Madrid uh, being able to be shown in prime time, 8 p.m. Eastern, on... Uh, in a meaningful game, not not an ICC game, on Fox. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we'll never know. I mean, it's but, it, it's easy to say it is the game, but it's it's but, it's, but it's, it's major league soccer. There was a comment earlier about the pop culture bias against this sport in this country, and I think that that's a big part of it. So um, there's this view that Barcelona versus Real Madrid is something foreign. It's something not American. It's not exciting. It's not entertaining. Uh, It's much more entertaining to sit and watch a baseball game where uh, a guy is – whatever i could get into really my my uh my dislike of baseball but um i, I think that there is this programming that comes from a sub, a sub, brain, sub brainwashing program. yeah brainwashing is the, that's the word i'm looking for coming from these shout shows that uh, have an inherent bias against this sport and right right i mean they can't even when when these mls games end we're recording this during one of the 9 a.m matches the vancouver chicago match when this match ends they're, they're going to go to some espn program where they're going to pretend like what happened right before their program didn't happen, and they're going to go right to the NFL. I guarantee you, or, or NBA, or whatever. I think so. I think a lot just... of it, though, Carty. I think I think a lot of it too. Yeah, we're. I mean, brainwash is probably a good word, but but almost like programmed. But the other part of it, though, too, is just even just your local TV station. And uh, I can't remember the last time I, I switched on a, a local TV station in the sports segment and had any mention of soccer. I mean, it, uh, otherwise, I mean, if during the World Cup, yes. If that local TV broadcaster yeah, had the, the rights to that that World Cup, but otherwise, I mean, again, it's every four years. I mean, it's three years and, and like what uh, eleven months. I remember of the, nothing. the stations in uh, in 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 the Miami Fort Lauderdale market showed uh, highlights of the Euros during. Uh, but it, again, that was an international tournament. They they do not do it for club soccer matches, right? Um, yeah, but uh, yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> Next up is Derek. A quick question about ESPN Plus. I've been enjoying some of the obscure offerings that they have, like the uh, the Danish league and the Swedish league. But have been frustrated that uh, they only tend to show a very small number of the games in these leagues. Do they only have the rights to broadcast certain teams and/or matches, or is it them thinking that there would not be enough demand? Thanks for always keeping us entertained with your podcast. So the answer to that is they are broadcasting um, as many of the games that are available to them. So for the Danish Super League, oftentimes that might be like one or two games uh, a match week. And the same thing too with the Swedish League is just those are, I mean, it could be one or two games. Those are the only games that are available uh, to them under their contract. So um, they don't have access to all of the games for all the teams and uh I don't know the, the Danish league and Swedish league as as, as much, but um, I mean, while those games may be televised for maybe the club TV channel, um, not all of them would be televised for for television or even over there. So, 
Um, so those leagues and, and then those broadcasters would focus on giving the best you mean, production for those games that are available uh, worldwide. Last but not least, Nick uh, Silberto says, um, regarding Kartik's opinion on the CAS ruling, what kind of regulation, if any, would you like to see replace FFP? Kartik's criticisms of F- FFP are valid. However, sit- situation where any billionaire, oligarch, energy drink company or sovereign nation can create a super club on a whim is even worse. We need a regulation that allows sensible and reasonable investment while preventing top European competitions from becoming playgrounds for billionaires. Unfortunately, I don't see this happening under the current governing framework. That's a good question. Yeah, it's a very good question, uh, Nick. Thank you for that. I think uh, luxury taxes like we've seen in – well, I, it's funny. I've spent this whole – podcast bashing baseball but something they do right they don't have a hard salary cap so the yankees and the red sox can spend more money than the orioles or 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 the rays if they want to but uh there's there is a a tax that comes back into that and there's a sustainability for uh for, for 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 other teams that comes from that uh revenue that comes from from that i think that's one potential uh solution another is to set kind of general uh, guidelines in terms in terms of uh, of spending and uh, f- per club or, or per kind of some sort of uh, ratio per club, but then if they exceed that, fine them, uh, but not, uh, not 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 the sort of FFP uh, regime that I think makes it very very difficult for any club that is not established and does not have established sponsors and established uh, streams of revenue to compete. And the other thing I, I, I would I have not mentioned about FFP on this show, but I've mentioned on previous previous incarnations of this podcast and when I've made appearances elsewhere, is I think that there's a huge amount of discrimination in FFP toward clubs in wealthier areas. So, for example, Aston Villa uh, or West Brom. We talked about the West, West Midlands earlier. Uh, West Brom, Aston Villa, Birmingham City, Wolves, they cannot charge for tickets uh, what uh, Arsenal or Spurs can't. They just can't based on the, the economy uh, of Birmingham and West Bromwich and, and, and Wolverhampton, uh, based on the economic income, the per capita income, etc. Um, so they are penalized for that essentially under FFP because Arsenal is always going to have more ticket revenue coming in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so – you, you have to – if you're going to do another construct like FFP, you have to account for that. You have to account for those differences in, in regions. I think a luxury tax is probably a safer way to go um, if, if you have to uh, uh, put some sort of guideline in place. This, this all having been said, I, I don't like the fact that, that states can buy clubs. You know, Manchester City, PSG are essentially state-owned clubs. Uh, Sheffield United has state funding now from Saudi Arabia. I think uh, if Newcastle gets bought by the Saudi – sovereign wealth fund they would actually be the first directly kind of connected to a state um and and there's there are other examples of this it's not just those four clubs or or potentially those four clubs and and oligarchs coming in and and, uh and throwing tons of money in we've seen that recently at everton too um at the same time uh i think that's fairer than just saying okay well uh Manchester United has more revenue than everybody else, and they can take on as much debt as they want, right? That seems to not be a problem for, for UEFA. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they should always be uh, uh, allowed to spend this amount of money. But hey, uh, hey, 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 Everton, you can't. So, I, I mean, I think that there needs to be a system to, 
to rein in uh, this, the, 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 the situation. But in the absence of finding that perfect solution, I'd rather do nothing is what, is what I think I'm saying than, yeah. than have something like FFP. I, I'm on the same page as far as – I mean to me, I, I prefer the um, hands-off. I mean unless – as long as it's sustainable, as long as clubs do not go out of business and when it gets too out of control – but you look at uh, you look at Chelsea, you look at Leicester, you look at uh, Manchester City. Uh, without the Premier League becoming a playground for billionaires, um, these clubs would not have won all the titles that they've won in, in the last um, last five five years or so. Um, I find it more interesting. I find it more exciting. Yes, it, it is kind of um, perverse at times in terms of the wealth and. Um, Everything that's involved, but um, yeah, I, but I find before that this, right? Uh, the people who are Premier League fans, and specific, specifically, and you talk about the competition and five winners in eight years. That is because of of, of this investment, and and really uh, because of ignoring FFP or pre FFP situations. Before uh, Roman Abramovich bought Chelsea, it was a two team league at the top for many years. Yeah. Okay, and there were years I thought Leeds could break into that top two. They never did. There were a couple of years where I thought. Newcastle might be able to. They never did. Uh, it was uh, Liverpool was in a down period, and it was Arsenal and Manchester United exchanging the trophy back and forth. So the Premier League wasn't much different than Spain. So, so, so if you if you advocate for FFP, a lot of people who advocate for FFP are Liverpool fans or, or Arsenal fans, by the way. Uh, but if you advocate for FFP, think about that. And then at the same time, you talk about how competitive the top of the Premier League is compared to other leagues. Uh, realize that you're kind of uh, contradicting your own argument. So hats off to all the viewers and, and listeners and uh, followers for some great uh, f- questions, feedback, observations, and opinions uh, week after week, and, and, and this episode in particular, uh, some really, really good feedback there. But we want you to have your say, so let us know. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, we're back every Thursday. Uh, most of the episodes, or actually all the episodes, are released on most of the uh, the major podcast players, as well as YouTube and WorldSoccerTalk.com. And there was there was one podcast player, Kartik, that you pointed out this past week that was uh, that, that you're on now that you really enjoy. Which one is that one? Uh, it is. Uh... Uh, it is oh my god overcast sorry uh, and i've been listening to our podcast on overcast every week and i i like uh just the controls a little better than than apple podcasts all right well speaking of controls this weekend uh there's uncontrollable controllable soccer so much to choose from on sunday in particular with the championship sunday uh the start of the uh the championship uh semi-finals uh in the playoffs you've got the nwsl challenge cup uh final you've got the the next um the knockout stage of the MLS games on Sunday night. And, and that's just Sunday. Of course, you've got uh, the Portuguese league wrapping up. You've got the Serie A wrapping up too. And uh, I'm probably forgetting a, a whole bunch of other leagues too, Kartik. But uh, what should they do? What, what are you going to be doing this weekend? Give us uh, some final thoughts. Yeah, enjoy your football. Going to watch Championship Sunday. Leicester, Manchester United in particular. Obviously, uh, Serie A and Liga Amekis restarting. And the NWSL Challenge Cup final. That's a big game. That's a big game for television ratings too on Sunday on CVS over the air and uh, hoping that records a better number than what we've been seeing in, in the other leagues uh, but now I'm um, more realistic about it unfortunately so enjoy your football 
And actually, Kartik, let me just add to that too. Hopefully,、uh, CBS includes some preview or some a promo, perhaps, for the Champions League coverage that、yeah. is coming、yeah. up in the first week, and any also Europa League coverage. That's one to keep an eye an eye out for.、And、one last thing, Kartik, is uh, the uh, Coupe de France final is PSG against、uh, Sanetien on Friday. That's on Bein Sports and Bein Sports in Espanol. So we've got a, a huge weekend of soccer. 